You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Our mission is to bring the hope of Jesus to Jaffrey and beyond. We are here to know Christ, grow in Christ, and serve others. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hopejaffrey.org. Turn to Ephesians 3, verse 14. This is a prayer that we are reading. Paul is praying these words on behalf of the Ephesian church. Ephesians 3, verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he ends this prayer with a beautiful doxology, a word of praise, and he says, now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. This passage is a powerful one. You'll see the word power and strength mentioned several times in there. And the idea today that I'm trying to present to you is this concept of this spiritual power that, that we have within us today. But I'm trying to open my own eyes and my own heart to understand what that actually means for you. I aim for you to come in here today and really have some, some comfort and courage and strength to leave this place knowing that there is a, a real ability that God has to, to step into your challenge and your struggles today and make a difference. I just think so often there's things in life that we feel as if maybe we do, but they don't actually work. Do you ever have that kind of moments? And, and I know as a Christian, even for me, there are times in my life where I struggle, and maybe this is just me, but maybe you can sympathize with this, where I struggle to know and believe something or in a sense, I have a belief and a knowledge about God, but there are many times when I struggle to implement that into my daily life. I struggle to get that aspect of knowledge and understanding and right doctrine and truth and have that make any difference in my daily life. And oftentimes, there can be a feeling of a disconnect between the two. A disconnect between what it is I know to be true and the struggle I have to put that into practice to make a difference over the challenges and the, and the sin that is in my life. Maybe you feel like that. And you know that today is a Sunday where we get to sing God's praises. We get to come into his house. We put a smile on our face and we're so excited to be in church. And yet you know Monday is coming. <laughs> you know tomorrow. There are many things waiting for you. But even when your mind goes to think and consider those things at this moment, your anxiety begins to build. You see those struggles that are going on. And there seems to be a, a disconnect where 
You know God is good and able to do something about these things, but sometimes it feels like nothing is really happening. And these things don't seem to line up. Sometimes that can be in our lives or the way other people see us. I was on the phone with a friend yesterday. I won't go into all the details, but he was expressing concern over a phrase that someone had said that is essentially that was saying that how, how can these people call themselves Christians and, and act like this, right? You know, have you ever had that conversation? Maybe someone said it. How can these people say that they know God and yet this is the things that they talk about and this is how they treat other people, right? And so how is it that we can truly be changed and transformed to walk and live out what it is we believe and say we are. Some of you um, maybe had the opportunity to participate or, or, or um, come and help out and volunteer at the Monadnock Full Throttle Triathlon. That was yesterday. It was a blast. A lot of wonderful people helped organize that. All the proceeds of that go to Little Lambs and help to build that orphanage in Guatemala that so many of you participate in. Uh, but it was a beautiful day, a wonderful day. But there's that mindset of any kind of athletic accomplishment or athletic challenge that you have before you, whether it's running a 5K or running a half marathon or a marathon or, or completing a triathlon or perhaps it's just simply uh, doing 10 push-ups or so perhaps it's any kind of athletic achievement of any kind, that physical change that needs to occur. There is, there is a difference between knowing about how to accomplish that and actually doing it, right? It's one thing to go online and click, 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 sign up for the race, because <laughs> that's always the easiest part, and then to come to race day and actually do it, or to go through those sunken feelings in your stomach before the race of what did I sign myself up for? Like you were saying, or how did I get signed up for this, right? You know, this feeling is in your stomach of like, I'm not sure if I'm ready, but there is a sense that as you train for these things, it, it, it's a lot of fun to go on YouTube and study about the right proper techniques to swim properly or to find the right bike and all the gear and get into that addiction of constantly getting sucked into and needing more bike things, right? And then to need the right proper equipment, the right shoes, the right uh, aspect for hiking and the right electrolyte supplements to keep you going when it's hot and when you're running. And yet... You can research and buy and get all this knowledge and information, and you can be the most knowledgeable person, but if you ever, ever actually do it, and it really falls short, does it not? There isn't really a change that occurs in your body or in your mind or in your, in your strength or in your muscles because you're not actually doing it. And so it's that challenge of waking up early and going out for a run when you don't want to, of, of pushing through those moments of pain so that your muscles are actually stretched and ripped and then supported and built back again and growing in strength so your lungs can be able to take in this air to be able to keep going even when the going gets tough. It's that week in, week out, very often you don't even know change is occurring within you until maybe later on and then goal later on where, where you see the difference that it actually makes. But when you put the two together, the knowledge and the information, and you put the work and the hardship of going through that, and the, you actually begin to melt the two, you have a transformation that occurs within you. You have a change that occurs. Your muscles are built. Your muscle memory occurs where now it becomes simpler. Your knowledge and experience of going through that challenge are increased. You become perhaps faster or your courage is strengthened to be able to take on a, a further goal, a harder goal next time because you've accomplished smaller ones. This is what Paul is talking about when he speaks of running the race. 
Philippians 3, he speaks about how, that he may know the power of his resurrection, that he may share in Christ's sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 12, he says that, not that I've already obtained this or that I'm already perfect or that I've already arrived at the goal or I'm already finished with all of this progress. No, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm gonna forget what lies behind, I'm gonna strain forward to what lies ahead. I'm gonna press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. And he speaks about being mature and growing. So let us hold true to what we have attained. And then it says at that passage that Christ will transform our lowly bodies one day to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so for many of us in here, we recognize that sense of pressing on, of pushing forward, running the race. But for many of us, we know the daily experience and the struggle that it is. We know that we call ourselves Christian, we desire to walk in faith, but we're frustrated when we yell at our kids again. We lost our temper with our spouse again. We feel anxious when we know we shouldn't, when we should cast our anxiety and care on him. We feel hopeless and we're headed down that path of depression again. We find ourselves impatient. We argue and we, or perhaps maybe some of you are coming into this place today and you have literally blown it. You have literally broken the trust of someone you love in such a grievous way that you feel like you barely even deserve to sit into this church building today. And yet you are in the perfect place today to be among people and to receive the grace of God among this church and in this place. And yet so we, we experience the reality and if we're honest enough to admit it, we're honest enough that we are feel a lot like Paul, that we haven't attained all of these things already. We are being shaped and transformed. There is this progressive sanctification going on in our lives. And so there's a challenge that I think if we're going to connect those two ideas of both the knowledge and the doctrine and the right practice of that working out in our daily lives to actually walk in righteousness and say no to sin, I'm going to present to you an idea that maybe is somewhat of a solution, but maybe not the solution you're looking for. Sometimes we want a quick fix. We want something that's just going to make it all easy, right? I woke up some of you with that. And so we need that quick fix. We need that, that, that thing that we think is just going to make it all go. And yet we don't want to put in that daily practice and the work and the slow transformation. And yet I think the one key indicator between those two sides is actually what Paul's presenting to us today in Ephesians 3. And really at its surface, it's very simple. It's It's prayer. And again, see that you're like, I don't really know if I like that one. Prayer? In fact, I was literally having a conversation with someone in my office before this message. And they were saying, Jordan, I don't really know how to pray. How do you pray? It was very interesting. I won't name who it was, but I know many of you probably feel that same way. I don't really know how to pray. How do you pastors pray with all this language and these big words, scripture terms, right? You know? That's not the point, right? But the point is, when we examine Paul's prayer, I think we see something that I want to encourage you with today, that prayer often is this connecting point between the things that we know to be true and the connecting point of, of in a sense, accessing and enlivening, equipping, syncing up the power that's within us to actually put it into practice into our lives. But when we ignore prayer, we just kind of get frustrated that the things aren't working out. And, and God's saying, 
talk to me, get to know me, and I'm going to work that out in you. It's already there. You're just totally neglecting it and ignoring it. And so this is seen also in this big idea. Um, this is seen in this big idea of the book of Ephesians. I saw a couple pastors and commentators reference this, and it struck me because the book of Ephesians is organized with this in mind. The very beginning of Ephesians is chapters 1, 2, and the first part of chapter 3. It's all about big ideas, doctrine, knowledge, massive concepts about the majesty and the glory and the power of God and his foreknowledge before the beginning of the world and these massive ideas that, that are wonderful and true. And yet sometimes you may think, how do I... That's great to know those things, but what difference does that make? Well, the second part of Ephesians takes that right doctrine, that wonderful teaching of theology, and it begins to apply it literally into your relationships, where Paul speaks in the second half of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, about your marriage relationships, your boss and employee relationships, how you care for your children and your, and your, and, and your lifestyle, how it is you actually put on the new man and put off the new man and how you renew your mind, like super practical stuff. And you know the connecting point between those two halves, what you know and should know and how you actually put it into practice? The connecting point is the passage we're studying today. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. It's a prayer that Paul prays, and he prays it like a hinge between the two things, between what we need to know and how we actually make that make any difference in our lives. And the prayer he prays is pointed at that, saying, I know these people are going to think these big ideas are so, and what difference does it make? So how do we make these things mesh together? It's one thing to have one thing in the right hand and one thing in the left hand, but how do they become together? And Paul's saying the way this comes together is through ultimately God's strength, empowering you through his spirit to recognize that Jesus Christ lives within your heart and actually will give you the strength and the power to grasp and comprehend and know how amazing God is and his good love for you that will anchor you in difficult times so that you will actually be filled up with the very fullness of God to encounter whatever it is that is facing you. And then ultimately at the end, as we recognize what God does within us, we can't do anything but simply praise him for all that he is because it is to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything we could ask or think. <laughs> Not to him who is the glory in the church, right? According to the power that works within us, he says there in that doxology. So with that, I want to look at this idea of this prayer and try to break it apart for us in the short time that we have together. There may be some elements today that I won't be able to really get into. I have a whole lot of notes on these things, but I know our time is short, and I don't want to really almost give too much of it to you, because I would desire for you to take this passage and read it through this week. If some of you are struggling to pray, you don't know how to pray, you don't know the words to pray, take Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and every time you go to pray this week, pray that passage. Just read it out loud. Pray these words of what Paul prays, and it will begin to inform and instruct your own prayers. And so Paul, Paul says in verse 14, Ephesians 3, for this reason, I bow my knees. I bow my knees. And he says, ultimately, some of the translations actually translate some of these things into say, I pray for this. I pray for this. And so he says, for this reason, and it goes back to Ephesians 3, where Paul is made a, um, a minister of the gospel to the Gentile people. 
And he says, because God intends to share the gospel with people like you and me, non-Jews, this sense of because God desires to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth, I know he's going to do that in you, church of Ephesus, Ephesians. I know he's going to do that. So I have confidence today to pray these things to you. So for this reason, because I know God's behind this, God intends to do this, God's power is working within you, then I'm going to pray for you, church at Ephesus, I'm going to pray this for you. So he's interceding. So in a sense, this prayer is an intercession or a, you could even say a petition as he prays on behalf of the church of Ephesus. He's praying on their behalf. Paul's saying, I pray these things for them, right? And so as he prays these things, he says, I kneel, I bow my knees. I heard one pastor preaching on this passage. He was saying that this is the only time Paul, in all 43 of his prayers in the New Testament, tells us his posture. And Paul actually says, I bow my knees. And then he likened it, which I hadn't heard this before, but he he likened it saying in the Old Testament, most often posture for prayer for a Jewish person person of Israel would be to stand with your hands raised. You would pray to God kind of with your hands raised in prayer, right? And so we do that today. Often many of us sing with our hands raised. It's a very, even an ancient posture, you could say, thousands of years old. And yet for the Gentiles, the posture that was most common for Gentile people was to kneel. And it's interesting that Paul here says, I now, with you, Gentile church of Ephesus, I am kneeling before and I'm kneeling with you and we pray to the same God who is both our father, the father of these Jewish converts, the father of these people in Ephesus. He says, what does he say? For this reason, I bow my knees before the father. The word is the pater figure there. This is where we get this word kind of patriarch, this pater, the father. And it's a wordplay because next it says, from whom every family, the word there is patria, this, from every pater and patria, from every father and family, the whole world is united under Jesus Christ. And Jesus taught us to pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This idea of father is so important. It unites the universal church together. It unites us as one The family of God, rich, poor, tall, short, black, white, I don't care what it is, right? It does not matter. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, male or female, we are one together in Christ under his leadership as one family. And like you were saying together, if we all had to live together in one household for a whole year together, that would be interesting, right? But in some ways, spiritually, we do. We live as a family of God together in this region of New Hampshire, right? And so this ability of us to see this idea that God is working in us, he is a father above us, we pray to him. And yet we see the Trinity displayed in here, that we see the Father, then verse 16 and 17, we see the Spirit and Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are mentioned in this passage right here at the beginning. And so we intercede and we pray. And what does he pray for? It's not wrong to pray for needs. It's not wrong to pray for things uh, and specific things that are going on in your life. Not wrong. But Paul rarely prays for those things. In fact, he names people by name all the time. He actually does. In fact, at the end of Romans, you'll see a list of like 20-something names of different people he knows by name and he lists by name. But very often his prayers that are recorded are for, frankly, spiritual needs that then make themselves known in our daily lives. But this idea, he says... I pray to this heavenly father 
who is rich in glory. He is rich, but he is praying for power. Look at this. That he may grant you to be strengthened with power. This word power is literally, it's a, it's a dynamite word, right? Because literally the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. This, is, this word is boom, okay? It is power. It is this sense of something that has great power within it to accomplish. And he is saying that we have been praised for strength in us with power through his spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of us in our inner being so that Christ, Jesus, the spirit of Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This power is a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. In fact, one of my favorite movies is the word, uh, the movie Lincoln. I think I've shared it at different times, but Daniel Day-Lewis plays Lincoln. And there's a scene in there where the, the whole movie hinges on, where they're trying to pass this kind of emancipation proclamation and free the slaves. And they're trying to get it voted through Congress. And they're like three votes shorts. And, and, and the guys are like, I don't think we can do it. I think we're going to have to toss it in. We're just going to need to call it. And, and, and Daniel Day-Lewis, who's playing Abraham Lincoln, there's this incredible scene. And he slams his fist on the table. And he says, I am the president of the United States, clothed in immense power. You will procure me those votes. And it's a, it's a scene that still resonates in my mind. I'm like, whoa, even as you're sitting there, you're like, yes, I'll do whatever you have to say. But you're like, right? That's just a man clothed in some kind of outward power. Just a president, a person, no different. And yet here, this is what Paul, I think, is trying to get into the hearts of the people. I'm praying that God would strengthen you with his power, that you would recognize that the power of the Holy Spirit dwells with you, clothed with his righteousness, that we would walk in that power. And that power does not come from me. Jordan just trying to try harder next time. It is this concept of recognizing and and working with God through prayer because that power comes from him. It is that idea we preached on two or three weeks ago, abide in me and I knew. If we abide and connect to the vine as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you abide in me, right? Neither can you unless you abide in me, it says. This is the idea of spiritual transformation. We must connect ourselves to Christ. And I love this idea that this is the point that he makes, is that he says that this power that he's trying to strengthen us with comes from Jesus who does what? Who does what? What is Jesus doing in verse 17? Jesus is coming to dwell in you. And that word dwell is very important. It's not that Jesus comes to visit you occasionally and high five you and slap you on the butt and get you going back into the game. Keep on going there, champ. It's the fact that Jesus comes and lives in you. The word dwell is like so important because it is this word that really actually has the connotation of not only just comes to visit or say hi, but rather that he comes to live within us and also the sense is this idea of renovation. And I love this idea because it is that Christ may dwell within me, meaning also this is backed up with John. I believe it's John 16 or 17 or 14, I'm not sure. But it says that he will come and make his home with us, right? This is that idea that Jesus is making his home within us, meaning he comes to live inside of us, but then he begins to renovate our lives. You ever purchase a home that you didn't fall in love with, right? You were like, this is a house, and it's great, but we need to make this into a home. You begin to paint. You begin to tear out the cabinets, replace them. You might fix the deck and the leaky roof. And this house that you have becomes a home. 
Jesus is saying, I'm doing that in your heart. I'm coming to live within you, and I am renovating your life, and I am going to strengthen you and make this place into a home. It is this idea of of spiritual formation or transformation or metamorphosis or progressive sanctification, whatever you'd like to call it. It is this concept that is an immense power that lives within us, that is a lifelong journey that we will see as we grow and as we press into Christ. Now, number two is this idea for stability. That he prays for power, but stability, and this is a very simple one in the sense that he prays that this power that's within us would be stabilized by love, by love. That it says you would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted is an organic metaphor. You know, you plant a seed and the roots go down. Uh, the other one is one many of you will love. It's more of that construction metaphor, right? The concrete guys in here, right? This, this idea of something that is established. There is a foundation that is grounded that supports the whole structure. I, I, he's praying that we would be rooted and established with this foundation in what? In love. Love's this almost this, this guiding virtue to guide the use of the power within us. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about this, that you can have all this stuff, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. If you have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, great. If you have all faith and you can even remove mountains, but you don't have love, I am nothing, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Now faith and hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. John reminds us in 1 John that God is love. And this is the importance of understanding this love that will ground our lives to be strengthened with his power. Now, understanding the love of God is a really challenging thing. That's why we are are asking God to give us the strength to comprehend. Look at number three, it's knowledge. Having the knowledge to be strengthened so that we can actually grasp or understand what it is that we're being presented with. Uh, Many of you students just went back to school. And I can remember being in school at many times. I was in school way too long, okay? But when you're in school, you might find yourself in a class that it's not your favorite class, right? Maybe it's not your favorite teacher or professor. And you know it's not your favorite because, frankly, it's really hard. And you don't even understand what's going on, right? Have you ever been there in a class where the concepts that are being talked about just seem to go over your head? And you're like, that's church for me every Sunday. Oh, I hope not. I hope it's not that for you. But it is that feeling sometimes where things go over our head. It is difficult to grasp and comprehend the concepts being discussed. And I remember that for me was chemistry class, geometry class, virtually any math class. (laughs) This is why I don't do any of those things today. Um, And so the idea is the, the, the challenge there of not being able to grasp what's going on. I don't get this. Paul is praying for them that they would grasp and understand what? The love of God, the, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth that they would be able to grasp this even when life comes at us fast and it is challenging to grasp and trust God that he actually loves us. Like that thing that happened in your life, you're like, it is hard to love you, Lord, while I'm going through this right now. God, help me to grasp your great love and your goodness to me because this certainly doesn't feel like it. And so Paul prays for this. And yet I love this. And I want you to miss this because we're in church today. What does it say in verse 18? That you would have the strength to comprehend... What does it say? Verse 18, that you would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. Some of your translations might even say together as his children. I love it because I, first times I was reading through this and hadn't meditated on it very much, I fluffed right through it, right? 
This is a beautiful concept because I alone, singularly, as Jordan Moody, can grasp the love of God in such a way, and yet I believe God has created us in such a way that my view of God and my understanding of his love is limited on purpose. Because I need you to help me grasp another facet of his love and to understand and to see how he's worked in your life. This week and last week, I had the opportunity of meeting with several different couples who are trying to join the church and we're welcoming them into membership. I had the opportunity to hear testimonies of people, 14 people, I believe it was, that we baptized last Sunday to hear their testimonies of what God's done in their life. And that beautiful thing is that I get to hear a little bit more about the knowledge of the love of God in their life. How God has loved them personally gives me a greater awareness of the vastness of his love. But if I just see God's love in my own limited perspective, in my own way, and nobody tells me what God is, right, these things, then then I am limited in that. But when we open ourselves up for a church like this to express to one another in all its different forms the love of God, we begin to grasp in a greater way. It's like you're zooming in in Google, Google Maps. You zoom out, you zoom out, and you zoom out, and you begin to see more and more. You start to grasp, even though it is very small, the, the width, the breadth, right? The, the length, the height, the depth. You begin to per- give more perspective to this amazing, the dimensions of God's limitless and unreachable and, frankly, surpassing knowledge of these things. Like, we can't fully understand it, and yet Paul is saying, I pray you understand it. You ever feel that? <laughs> like, they were like, that was my chemistry teacher. <laughs> right? You're like, here it is, kid. I hope you understand it, even though I know you won't. Good luck, right? It is like, God, help me grasp and understand the vastness of your love. The dimensions here are incredible. The height, the breadth, the length, the width, all this stuff. God's love surpasses our ability to fully grasp it. And that word comprehend is literally in the Greek there, this idea of grasp, to lay hold of it. Okay, I, I mean, we even say that sometimes. Oh, I get it now. Light bulb went off. I, I, I think I, get, I got a hold on it. I got a grasp on it, right? right that, that's the idea here. And then that word know is not just, again, a knowledge. The word that we would know the love of God, that word know is an experiential knowledge. It's a knowledge that's lived out and worked out, that you've understood because you're living it. It's not just a thing that's in your head. It's something that you know, and it's in a sense connected to faith. You believe it in faith because you know it works, and you're living it right now. That's this knowing of that love. We just got back from vacation a few weeks ago, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Josh for preaching for me and just doing a fantastic job leading our church and preaching in so many different aspects that was encouraging to me. And so I love following along with all the services while I'm away on vacation for the few times I get a year. But we were visiting Cape Cod, and we were spending time in Harwich and Chatham and other places. But we did go one day up to the uh, Cape Cod National Seashore. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, it's the place where all the sharks are, Okay. And my wife, if you know her, she loves sharks, okay? So, okay, she's like angry at me right now. She, uh, seals and sharks hates them, right? She stands far away. But, but there was a cool just sense of when you're on these other beaches, a lot of them are more of bays or sheltered by Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket and such. When you're on the Cape Cod National Seashore, you stand there and you look out at this ocean and literally you're staring at France or something, you know? It's kind of weird because we know, I just zoom out in Google Maps. I'm like, oh, I'm here. England's there. France's there. Africa's there, right? But, but, you know, you stand there and it's like, it is so big. 
right? It's so big, and there's these huge sand dunes and, and, and sand bluffs, and the waves are smashing in, and you hear the roar of the ocean, and, and, I, and there is this perspective. I didn't have it when I was there, because I'm not, like, super spiritual like that, but later on, I, I, I thought about it, and I was like, you know, that's, that is kind of true, okay? So I will humbly admit that, but later on, I was thinking, and I was like, that feeling of standing there on that beach and sensing just this vastness, the awe-inspiring depth of the Atlantic Ocean, the width of the Atlantic Ocean, the size of it that I can never fully grasp. I'll never grasp the Atlantic Ocean and pour it in a bucket. And yet God is saying that vastness, I am filling it inside of you. Do you catch that? Because this last verse here, right before the doxology, what does he say? <laughs> he says something uh, uh, surpasses knowledge. And the fact, like, all my notes, there's, like, very few notes on this section because I'm still struggling with it. Verse 19, it says, and to know the love of Christ it surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What does that mean? There, there is a certain mystery to this, and I think that's why at times that I, I struggle with it. I want to know and understand every detail of it, but it's something that I'm still learning and struggling to figure out. But the beauty of this concept is the bigness of God, if even if that's a word, but the, the vastness of God. The, 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 the breadth, width, length, height, that, that we would be filled with that, filled up with his spirit, filled up to be able to be, have the strength and the power so that we'd be rooted and grounded in his love, so that we would then be able to, to, to walk in righteousness and walk in his spirit, to be filled with the fullness of God that now dwells with us. That's an incredible an incredible blessing. And so then we close with these last two words, these last two verses. And there's so many things on this final two verses that I do not have time to get into. And it's one of those things that it's, again, something that I've been praying to myself throughout the week, meditating on over the last couple of months. I'm gonna read it, and then I'm just gonna comment on it, and then we're gonna close in prayer. But it says, now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever, amen. I love this, John Stott says, our God is neither idle, nor inactive, nor dead. And you're like, well, yeah, we're at church, we talk about resurrection all the time. No, God is not dead. It says right here, he is able. But like, do you live that out in faith each day? Are you praying to him, believing that he's actually able? Like, it's, it needs to be asked. <laughs> now, I understand at times I pray the same way. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm there with you more often than I care to admit. But are we saying that he is able, or kind of able, or potentially able, but the fact, are we saying that he is more than able? He is more than able. The word there is um, he is far to do far more abundantly. And it's actually a Pauline word. You know what that means is Paul made up the word. You guys ever make up words? I do it all the time while I'm preaching. Not really great. But the idea of this Pauline word, he literally makes this word up to the point where it doesn't exist in any other Greek literature. It exists twice, I think, in First and Second Thessalonians and once here. But the idea is hyper. Hyper. Some of you kids, a little hyper sometimes, right? This idea, why do we say hyper? Because you're a lot, okay? There's like super amount of you, and it's often too much for me and mom and dad to handle, right? 
There's a super amount. It's a hyper amount. It's far more abundantly. It's like a lot, right? And he literally connects words together and just meshes hyper and this other words of power and a lot going on. And he just meshes them together and makes this word of hyper ikaparuso. And I don't think I did that very well, but that's the Greek. There you go. Hyper abundantly, exceedingly abundantly beyond. KJV says exceedingly abundantly, infinitely more. This idea. And so this idea is that we pray to a God who is not just casually aware or distant, but yet we need to get to him. If we climb the ladder enough rungs, we finally can access him. No, no, no. We, we pray to a God who lives within us, who is seeking to, access, to give us the power over where we find ourselves, to be able to push through, to give us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that Josh preached about last week, to actually have peace, to potentially just endure wherever it is that we are in. That is from God. It is this measureless power, and it is to him that we praise. We give him the glory to work that within us, a power, a dynamite that is working within us, a spiritual power, because there is power. We are clothed in immense power. We are clothed in robes of righteousness. We put on Jesus. We put off ourself, which belongs to our former manner of life. And we walk as we are created in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is the goal. This is the pressing on. Not that we've already attained all that. No, we're working right now. We're pressing forward in that. And we're praying that God would work that out within us. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. But know that God, it is God who is working in you. That is the beauty of this sanctification and the power that God is working, right? So God is one that we remain in, we stick to him, we abide in him, and he works this out in our lives. And ultimately, this is to him, it is for his endless glory. Look at it, it I love this because it says, to him be the glory in the church throughout all generations. That's you and me today. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. He's saying to the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonians, the church in Podunk, Jaffrey, New Hampshire. <laughs> Did you connect that? I like to try to point our minds to that very often to recognize that the spirit of God is there. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is now living in us, right? The same spirit there that's filling those people in Ephesus is now today alive, working in our church. And I see it each week in and week out. As I have conversations with you and you tell me about perhaps maybe the hard things going in your life and yet how your faith is being strengthened through it all. Or the victories that you've just endured and experienced and how God has set you free from something. These aspects of life that encapsulate the Christian life. It is the fact that today you walk into church and I don't want you to leave thinking that it's just another day. Because it's not just another day. There is actual power that lives within you when we pray to him, walk with him, submit our lives to him, repent from our sin, and follow him. He lives with us, dwells. We root and ground ourselves in his love so that we can grasp how wide and big this love is. So that even when it feels unloving, we recognize that God is so much more so that he would fill us with his fullness. So that we would literally spill out to other people the very fullness of God. 
that, there, that the righteousness and the fruit of the Spirit would come in from our inward life and make a difference in our outward life. So that just our knowledge and study of some activity wouldn't just be here and separated from our actual lifestyle day in and day out. So that our Sunday faith will actually makes a difference in your Monday faith. Because you're full of him, the spirit of God, and you're walking in him. And you're walking in the fullness of God. And that power is working in you, new life and change. And that is a beautiful thing. And it was interesting when I was speaking with Walter and Holly and they picked a, a song to end with. They didn't know what I was preaching in or that we were talking about it. And I haven't talked to them about this. But the, the song we're going to close the service with is Build My Life by Pat Barrett. We've sung it many different times here at the church. And, and it speaks about these same concepts that we were just speaking about. That we'd be rooted and grounded or built upon the love of God. The words go like this. That I, I will build my life upon your love. It is my firm foundation. I will trust in you alone. I will not be shaken. It says, holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. This is just vastness of God. Open my eyes to wonder. Like, I need to see this and understand this. Help me to grasp what it is that you are. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart. That's the, fill me with your fullness, less of Jordan, more of God. That's what we're praying, that you would be less of me and more of God. And lead me now in your love to those around me, for I will build my life on your love. It is a firm foundation. When we live and trust in Christ, we will not be shaken. As we are firm, we are filled, we are walking in Christ. And today, God is able. And if you don't take anything else from wherever it is that we shared, take this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words. We're reminded of these truths. God, we know these things to be true. We believe them and we walk by faith. Lord, would you and in your spirit and in your power work these things out in our life that we would walk in holiness, that we would pursue to be holy like you are holy, that we would seek to have the courage to face the day tomorrow. God, that you would give us power that would strengthen us, that would enable us and equip us God, that you would help us to grasp your love. That you would help us to understand how much it is you love us truly. You know us, you love us, and you care for us. And God, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you fill us with the very fullness of God? Empower us to share that with others around us. That today and tomorrow, we would know that there is power to face the challenges before us. That we can walk in faith we walk by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray.